Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. It is so good to be with you. Hopefully, uh, you ladies have taken care of the men in your life. Um, the, uh, the rest of the day, I, I, I would imagine maybe they'll sleep. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But, uh, but hopefully, you guys uh, enjoy your day. And uh, can I just say personally, I, I, I love being a dad. Like, this is, this is not me being a pastor. This is not, I just love, I love being a dad. I really do. I think that there is, uh, there is huge um, blessing that comes from just being a dad. And, and today, as we're continuing on in our series of stories around the campfire, we're going to talk about a parable today that deals with a dad. And, uh, and, and, you know, being a dad, there's your highs, there's your lows, there's your wins, and there's multiple failures, okay? Uh, it's, not always, uh, it's not always glamorous, it's not always glorious, you're not always liked. Goodness, sometimes you're not even always loved when you play that role to, in the way that maybe God designs us to, to play that part. But there's things about being a dad that I think all, all dads can share. As I begin to think about what it meant to be a dad, I, I've got three beautiful children, Hezekiah, Zoe, and Boaz, and they are an incredible gift. But I think there's characteristics that my children could identify in my life, and I think in all dads. And maybe some of you guys can understand this. So, so like when your kids get, um, when they get in trouble... Or when things happen, there's certain characteristics that I think all dads have. And I think it comes after the very first child comes along. Like, dads, I think you all understand that there's something called a dad stare. You're like, so, so if your kids are doing something, they're running around, and all of a sudden, you're, you're kind of over here, you're distracted, and all of a sudden, they catch your attention, you're like, what? What's happening? You're like you're you're like you're it's it's a combination of like X-ray vision, laser beams burning through like the like the the, the stomach, the abdomen of each of your children, and and the stare kind of communicates without you even saying a word. Like, don't ever do that again. You know that's that part. Or why in the world are you doing that? Kind of stare. Or your life's about to be over. Kind of stare. You know those. That, that non-verbal communication that comes from the dad stare. And I think it just comes right after the very first child uh, is born. But, but then there's not only the, the dad stare, there's the dad voice. It's like it drops down. Like there's this moment where you're just talking and, and everything's great. And then your child says something, does something, whatever. And all of a sudden you end up dropping the authoritative voice in, you know, and you just kind of, kind of bring it down and, and it just kind of, everyone in the room stops. They realize that dad's talking and, uh, and you're trying to, to, to kind of, uh, kind of intimidate on some level, trying to, uh, you know, it's very identifiable when the dad voice kind of comes around. And, uh, and I always remember my dad kind of bringing that down as a, as a Marine of 23 years. He, uh, he brought a lot of that. I don't know. Um, some of you guys can relate. Come here, Joel. Okay. All right. And he'd say it calmly, which almost made it worse. He's like, just, just come here. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to come here. You know? I, mean, I don't want to do that. No. Um, but then there's also what I would call the, the dad hug. There's something about, there's something about when 
And, and maybe some of you can, can connect to this. When dad would put his arms around you, his big strong arms around you, there was something safe about that. There was something um, memorable for me. And I know it's not for every child. Some, some, there's some children here that, that didn't have that. Um, they, didn't, they didn't have that. But those that can, there's something safe about the arms of, of a father wrapping around you. There's something about that hug that says uh, it's going to be okay. There's an unconditional, moment, uh, uh, unconditional demonstration of love. It's, it's, it's reliable. I can kind of lean into him. There's, such, there's security when I felt my dad's arms around me, uh, even, even at times when I didn't want that hug. There's something, something very powerful about it. Dads, we love our children. And we have a, quite an opportunity um, to invest into them in ways uh, that can see their life maybe find victory or defeat. Like we have an opportunity. And, and dads, we need to understand that this role as a dad is an example that will kind of set the course for how your children will one day love and follow not their earthly father, but their heavenly father. You have an opportunity to be an example. You and I have an opportunity to, to set a tone. Because, and here's, I mean, as I began to, to think about it, it, it is, is the overwhelming responsibility that we have as dads as this example is, um, is, is really a powerful example and, and so if we're impatient, let me give you an example. Um, if we're impatient, guess how your children will one day see God as impatient. If you're a dad that, that is angry or quick-tempered or, you know, constantly has a chip on his shoulder, guess how they will one day see God? Angry. They will see him as having a chip on his shoulder, like never being able to live up to them. If, if you are a, a dad that seems distant or unaffectionate or unloving, then that's how they will equate their relationship with God. You see, right now we are laying a foundation, groundwork, for how our children will one day love and follow God. And, it's, and it is not an easy Journey. It is not an easy responsibility at all. And if you looked at my life just as we look at many of our lives, it's riddled with mistakes, riddled with failures. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I, I think I, I say I'm sorry to my kids maybe as often as I say I'm sorry to my wife. <laughs> I mean, there's times all along the way where, man, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could have said that different and, and there's nothing I can do. And sometimes it becomes a discouraging moment when, when our kids begin to make decisions on their own and, and it becomes heartbreaking when they begin to make decisions different than what you maybe anticipated them to make or what you wanted them to make or desired for them to make. Truth is, dads, um, there's a problem in our nation and it's a problem of fatherlessness. A bunch of us end up becoming, it's, it's easier to um, either 
rage or retreat. And a lot of the time, guys, guys respond in one of the two ways. We either rage and we, we act out, and, and it's almost like that the moment in The Incredibles, and when Mr. Incredible, like, hey, Bob, it's time to engage. You want to engage, and he lifts the table up, you know? And it's, there's that moment, and sometimes guys just, we rage, or sometimes we just retreat. We just let it happen in front of us, and we don't engage at all. There's a problem in our nation Many of you this morning didn't have great dads, or even a dad. Maybe, you were, maybe they were physically present, but emotionally distant. Maybe it seemed to be, uh, they always seemed to be disappointed with you in some way. Maybe uh, he never seemed to connect with you. Maybe, uh, tragically, yours was an abusive relationship. Eric Metaxas, as an author, many different books or whatever, but he, uh, he made this statement. He said he, he in, many, uh, in one of his articles, one of, in some of his books, he points out that almost all famous atheists, all famous atheists in modern times, Freud, Nietzsche, uh, Satter Hume, uh, Russell, uh, they all had absentee and traumatic father relationships. All of them. All of them. Governor of Flo- our, our recent governor of Florida, he made this statement. He said, if you look at all the different problems society could deal with, a huge number of them are rooted in kids growing up without having a father in the home. Part of the solution is sending a message. Men, meet your responsibilities. You have a responsibility. There's a problem. And some of you see it, but some of you choose not to do anything about it. Some of you feel like it's, it's so far beyond you and gone that you, how can I ever engage? Do you realize that 40% of American children, 40%, I was astounded by this, grow up in a home without their father? Children interpret this situation powerfully negative. Very negative. Because here's, here, here's, here's what it means. It means when they see a father's absence in their life. Now, they may be present physically, but they're maybe distant. They're, they're fatherless, even though they live in the same household sometimes. But a, an absent father, you know how children equate that to? Rejection. They equate that to rejection. They equate that to um, so, so think about it. We're raising a generation where 40% of our upcoming generation feels rejected because dad's not around to say, hey, I love you. It's going to be okay. Hey, let, let's walk through this together. Hey, let me, let, me, let me show you. Let me teach you. Let me walk with you through some of the pains that I journeyed through. Let me offer you some uh, experience some life experience. Let me offer you some wisdom. Like, uh, let me point you to the one that made a difference in my life. His name was Jesus. Ninety percent of porn models report sexual abuse in fatherless homes. You know why? Because dads aren't there to to protect their kids, to protect their hearts, to protect their minds. It's one of our responsibilities. It's 
one of our roles. But regardless of where you are as a dad this morning, regardless of all the list of failures that I could, I could rattle off and maybe you can as well, I want you to know this morning that we have a redeeming God. It's not the end. And even though maybe you didn't have a father or maybe you didn't have a good father, I promise you there is enough of your heavenly father that makes up the difference for all of us. This is the hope. This is the truth that we can lean into. And I love how this morning in our parable in Luke chapter 15, which is where we're going to be this morning, there's this beautiful picture of out of a father and two sons. It's a very popular story. Many of you know it. But I want to start by reading Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32, because I think it gives us a very clear picture of what a father's love can really mean. Luke chapter 15, if you don't have it, it's going to be up here on the screens. Starting in verse 11, it says this, A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Uh, The young man became so hungry that even the pods, the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, though, he said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have food, enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I know, I'll go home to my father and and, and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both, both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, and when he returned home, he heard all kinds of music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your brother's back, he, he was told, and your father's killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never, never gave me one of the young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has now come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Heavenly Father, 
we come before you this morning and we need more of you and less of us. Lord Jesus, it's a taxing responsibility. It is a hard, it is a hard road to be a dad. Lord, and, and I just pray right now in, this, in these next few moments as we look at your word, I pray for grace. I pray for mercy. I pray, Father, that you would move us from where we are to where you are, that we would begin to step into the roles and responsibilities, but we'd also step into the forgiveness and the grace that you have waiting for those that maybe failed to do that. God, I pray that you'd be in this place. Holy Spirit, would you move? Oh, we need you. It's not we that speak, but the Spirit of our Father which speaks through us. That's what you say in Matthew 10, 20, so would you speak? We need you this morning. We ask that you would do great and mighty things. Teach us what it means to be a dad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's this incredible story about this, uh, this single dad, and, uh, and I'm, I'm uh, kind of pulling this out because it doesn't mention the mom, doesn't mention the wife, uh, and so, uh, so maybe he's a single dad. And he's got two kids, and this almost sounds familiar as if this could be happening today, and that's the point. And, and so this single dad's got these two kids, and, and w- one kid, man, he comes and, and, uh, and he says, hey, dad, let's, let's divide this. I'm tired of living under your authority, under your house, under your rules. Uh, why don't we divide this all up? Give me what I'm due, what I deserve. Give me my portion of, uh, of all that you got, and I'll, uh, I'll be out of your hair. And so uh, his dad agreed. Divides it up, gives the portion to his, the younger brother and to the older. And, and then this young kid, a couple days later, packs up and moves to the city. Thinking, man, grass is greener on the other side. Things are going to work out. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to go be who I want to be. I'm going to explore. I am not going to abstain from anything my heart desires. And so that's exactly what he did. And this father has to watch his son leave and go and make really hard choices. And can I just empathize and sympathize with all the dads and parents in here? That's a hard journey. To watch your children make choices. Maybe choices that maybe you and I made at that age. And you wish they didn't have to experience those same consequences. You wish they didn't have to to walk that same journey, but they do. And so this young, this young man squanders all he has, gets to the point of where uh, he, this famine hits, he's starving, he loses everything, maybe because of gambling, maybe because of friends, maybe because of whatever. He loses everything, he's at the bottom of the barrel, he is feeding pigs, and he's wanting to eat even what they have because that looks tantalizing. And then he remembers, he remembers dad. But before I want to get to dad, I want to look at the other son because this younger son finally comes home and then the brother who was out there who did stay at home, who was the rule follower, he did it all right. He, 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 he was the, you know, uh, this is what dad told me to do, I'm going to do it this way and, and he was all about doing it right. He was the do it righter. I hated brothers like that. I got a brother like that. It's like you're just like... I, just stop, okay, all right? Okay, I know mom and dad love you the best, all right, great, cool. 
And this guy, he did it right, and he was at home, and he's working and everything, and then he hears about the celebration that's going on that dad put, is putting on for him, and he becomes envious to the point of where he won't even walk into the doors of his ha- dad's house. He's so angry. His dad then comes out and begs him, please come in. Come in, and he's like, and, and then as we'll see here, the son kind of begins to use all these explicitives and, and these absolutes like, uh, never, never did you do this. Never did you say this. Never did you. I always did everything you want. I slaved. He uses these huge words. I mean, it's like, it's like kids never change, right? <laughs> I always do this, Dad. Sure you do. <laughs> And he felt like dad owed him something. Couldn't even walk in and celebrate the return of his brother. It's hard being a dad. To see two children, to kind of walk off into the wilderness and choose their own path. I want to briefly look at the two, these two sons just for a moment, but I want to spend most of our time on this, on this dad. Obviously, the younger son, he was the wild one. The youngest one that I can, I, can, I can understand what this young man was going through. Some of you can as well. Some of you could probably, I mean, just about everyone in here could probably sit in one or these other seats, either the younger or the older brother. Uh, you, can kind of, you can kind of understand one or the other and kind of step in those shoes a little bit. And so this, this younger son told his father, I want my share in verse 12. But what did this younger son come to realize? Well, like, like all sin, sin satisfies for a season. I'm not here to tell you that sin's not fun. Sin's fun. It really is for a season, for a moment. But then guess what? Uh, it becomes fleeting. It doesn't become lasting. See, it's... It, it, it becomes, um, you become insatiable. You, you, you feel like, no, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down this path. And that's what this younger son is. And this dad, again, this dad's watching this son make these choices. And while this son is devouring sin. But his father, and this is, this is where this is hard. We'd love, we would love to protect our children from every ounce of sin possible. Wouldn't we, dads? We would. We'd love to put them in a box if we could. We'd love to make every decision so that they could have a better life than you did and, and avoid all this kind of stuff. But did this father loved his son so much that he was willing to let him walk the journey that he needed to. And that's hard. It's hard to let a child go off and, and walk that path. Romans 1, 24 and 25, God did the same with us, didn't he? It says this, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Sin satisfies for a season. We buy into a lie. We think that sin holds a greater promise than that which our Heavenly Father does. And this is the journey that this child was on. But he loved him enough to let him walk it. And I know sometimes we want to do that. 
Dads, can I just say this? You can't protect your children from sin, but you can point them to a Savior. You can point them to a Savior. See, that's, that's the greater benefit. Because at some point, your children will grow up. At some point, they will make decisions. At some point, and, and just putting them in a box forever and not allowing them. See, I would rather have my children make mistakes in front of me so that we can navigate through that and we can walk through that than to protect them in a box and then throw them to the wolves and they are ill-prepared and ill-equipped to actually navigate against the temptations of this world. And so they're left to their own. And sin becomes fun for a season. But then it leads them to a place, just like all of us know this, it leads them to a place uh, where starvation produces desperation. Starvation produces desperation. Do you realize that Every one of your children have a story. Every one of them are on a journey. Just like us as dads, as parents, we're on a journey, we're on a story. Um, and God is using that journey to produce something in them. And for many of them, it's desperation. It's to bring them to a place of, because I, I know that, that my words fall on deaf ears when it comes to my kids sometimes. I really wish that wasn't true. I wish they would just, they'd write down everything in a journal of all the wise things that dad said. Wouldn't that be great? These are all the wise things. Dad. Like, it doesn't happen. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. But the reality is, is sometimes God brings our kids just like he brings us to a place of where we just become desperate. We hit the bottom of the barrel. And so all of a sudden, in verse 16, it says, the man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Sometimes evil has to look so bad in order for truth to look so good. We don't like that, but sometimes that's the journey that each of our children are on. And this dad's watching that. But then... There's this moment, this young boy, all of a sudden he remembered his dad. Like there was this moment that, that he's eating with pigs and he's feeding slop and, 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 he's at, and, and it says that, that in a moment, we're going to look at a little bit more at this, but he came to the end of himself. He came to his senses and he came to the end of himself and his very first thought was dad, was dad. Like he remembered his dad. So for all the, the, the times where you don't think those kids are listening, for all the moments when you think that, that it's just falling on deaf ears, for all the investments that you think that you're making and it's not taking, taking root, the very first thought of this wayward son was of his dad. He remembered his dad when he finally came to his senses, which actually means when he came to the end of himself. And sometimes our children have to come to the end of themselves. And dad, sometimes we have to let them. But then there's the older son. And the older son, he was the Pharisee. He did it right. It says in verse 25, the older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. His father came out and like I already said, he said, I'm a slave. I did everything that you did. Never once did I refuse you. You never gave me this. He was envious of his brother. He was jealous of his brother. Here, here's the consistent problem with all this, okay? Um, let me sum up these two brothers. Um, both of them were wayward. 
Can I just say that? Both of these boys were wayward. And this father was looking on at both of them. Both of them were wayward. You know why? Because both of them, neither of them, neither of their hearts belonged to their dad. And that's all that dad wanted was their hearts. See, dads, this is, this is our goal. This is our job. This is what we're wired to do. We chase after the hearts of our children. We nurture their hearts. We, we pour things into them in order to yoke them to good things, to best things. And, and, and this, yes, we all love to, to look at the wild child and, and, oh my goodness, he made all these mistakes. But then there's this other one that did it right all the time. But his heart still didn't. You know why? Because he lived every day with dad and didn't have a relationship with dad. How often do we do that in a relationship with Jesus? We live every day walking into the house and Jesus is present, but we're not. Both of them were wayward. The dad had neither of their hearts and that's all the dad wanted was their hearts. See, working, working for Jesus doesn't equate to a relationship with Jesus. This story is a wonderful and powerful illustration, but it's not about the boys. The hero of this story is actually about the dad. It's about the dad. Dad, take heart, because God had something incredible that he wanted to communicate to each and every one of us. And to us dads, on Father's Day 2022, God had an incredible message that he wanted to share with us about something. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father uh, dads, do you realize that we have a unique opportunity to plant and invest some things into our children's hearts for a season? So let me ask you a question. What's the investment you're currently making? What kind of investment are you making now that causes your children, your sons and your daughters to remember, remember you? Remember what you taught them. Remember what you showed them. Remember what you planted in them. There's something beautiful about this dad. About this dad. I mean, think about it. Because it says, it's obvious this, this dad was outside every day looking on the horizon. Looking on the horizon. Is, is, he, is he here? No, okay, that's not, that's not him. Is, he, is that him? No. I mean, this dad was vigilant. I mean, he's looking for his, his children. He's constantly monitored. He's constant. They are constantly on his mind and on his heart. You children think that your dad never thinks of you. And for some dads, that may be true. But can I just be honest with you? If you're a dad like me or, or many in this room or online, I'm telling you right now, you're on your dad's hearts. And you know what? Your dad is chasing after your hearts. He's trying to pour things into your heart. And this dad, think about, imagine he's, stand, he's standing there and every day he comes out of his tent and he's sipping his coffee and he's having his, his bagel or whatever and he's, he's looking out and he's, he's seeing if he can see his boys. Seeing if he can see them on the horizon. And the thing that I want to draw your attention to is, man, he was so kind 
Like his kindness was incredible. Like, do you realize in the New Testament, and uh, it's, the word kindness is mentioned over 48 times? See, we think as dads that we got to be hard and harsh and, and angry and frustrated. And, but do you realize that it's actually kindness that leads to repentance? That's what Romans 2.4 tells us. It was his kindness that leads to repentance. See, we don't like to go that route because we don't think like we're making our point. But then it becomes all about you and not about the child. Here, kindness it was the kindness of God that, that led to repentance. Romans 3.24 talks about, yet God with undeserved kindness. There it is. I mean, I, I just, I'm not going to read all this, but the, there's pages of it. Romans 11.5, his undeserved kindness chose them. Romans 11.6, and since it was through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. Romans 11.22, to trust in his kindness. Romans 12.8, showing kindness. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, it was, uh, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore kindness, kindness, kindness. God the Father is a kind God. He's a kind God. He's not an angry. He's righteously indignant at, because he's a just God. But make no mistake, our God is kind. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. If he wasn't kind, then we would all be done for. We'd all be lost. We'd all be dead, really. But it was his kindness that was so rich. Do you realize in Barna research, if you're familiar with Barna, I do a lot of different research and different things like that. This is what they said. They said the single greatest factor in whether your child adopts your faith is not found... It's not found in the quality of what you taught them, but the quality of relationship you had with them. What kind of qualitative relationship do you have with your children right now? Hmm? What kind of investment are you making into them? And dads, can I, it never stops. It never stops. I'm so grateful to be able to continue to talk to my dad every single week and ask him advice and different things like that. I, I, I'm, and he never stops. And the truth is I don't want him to. It never stops. There's three ways of chasing after, the, after your children's hearts because look, this is not merely, dad's not, dad, we're not after the performance of our children. This dad was not after the performance of his boys. He wasn't. Because you notice he didn't say anything about their performance. He talked, all about, he talked all about how he welcomed them back in and he wanted more for them. And, and dad, you're chasing after hearts from the day that they are born. And here's three ways that you can chase after the hearts of your kids. You ready? Three ways. There's a season of planting. You're making internal investments in their life. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your child in the way they should go. And when they are older, they will not leave they will not leave it. The father did the best that he could. This is important to recognize. It's important to recognize because uh, he worked with what he was given, gave only what he had, and he left the rest in God's hands. Do you realize you give the best to God in your obedience? You use what you have, 
and then you leave the results to God. He ultimately does the changing. He does the work. If you're willing to take that step, but understand, you have a season. You have a momentary season to make these internal investments. What kind of investments are you putting into the lives of your children Every single moment of every single day, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm about to give you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them uh, when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on their heads and wear them on their forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. Are you doing that? Are you making internal investments? We have a season to make these internal investments. There's no perfect dads, but there's a perfect heavenly father. So what are you pouring in them? What are you placing in them every day? See, I believe that it was his early on investments. The reason why I think this child remembered his dad is because of those early investments. Those small, hey, I'm praying for you, son. Hey, come here, bring it in. Those words, those moments that he didn't let pass by him. His investment planted seeds that seemed to draw him back to the heart of the Father. What kind of investments are you and I making today? But not only that, I think there was also a legacy of praying. Living, laying them at the feet of Jesus. Dads, nothing of eternal consequence happens apart from prayer, which includes the direction and formation of your children's lives. You better be on your knees for your kids. Not just around the dinner table, but every moment of every day. You need to be laying them before the feet of our heavenly father every single day. You know why? Because you're not enough. I'm not enough. And so we bring them to the one who is enough. And every time we do that, we're surrendering our will and we're giving in, handing our children over to his. God, do more. Do more in my child's life. God, heal this. Take this away. Move in this way. See, we, we don't play the role of the Savior. We're not the Savior of our children. We just point them to the Savior every day. We're not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Just like when you came to know Christ, it was by a work of the Holy Spirit. It was the work of God himself working in our life that changed and transformed us. So too, when we bring them to the foot of the cross, the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of your children to change them into the men and women of God they were always meant to be. It's a work of God. So stop trying to play God in your kids and be a faithful dad. Pray every day. Lay them at the feet of Jesus. Psalm 118, excuse me, Psalm 103, verses 8 and 17 says this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Look, it says, while he was still a long way off, See, this dad, he saw his kids still a long way off. And I love this imagery because it's almost like many of us can see our kids a long way off and they may not be making good choices. But he was 
He was creating a legacy of prayer. He was on his knees. He was saying, God, bring them back. Please bring them back home. Lord, save them. Move in their heart. Move in their life. And I think it was the early investments, and it was this legacy of prayer that drew, their, drew his boys back to the heart of the Father. See, nothing of eternal consequence happens apart from prayer. But when you make those kinds of investments, guess what? You reap eternal benefits. And it's not always the story. I can't tell you that if you're faithful today, if you raise up a child in the way they should go, then, um, then I'm going to guarantee that they're going to walk back through your doors. I can't make that promise. But that doesn't mean, see, the question is, isn't whether or not they make that choice or not. The question is, is who has God designed you to be? You're a follower of Jesus. You want to be a faithful husband, a faithful father, a faithful man of God chasing after his heart, regardless of the performance and the outcome of what happens in your child's life, continue to rise up and God will be pleased. Pray, make those investments today because they're going to reap eternal benefits down the road. Second, lifetime of pursuing. This dad, man, he never gave up. Is that my son? Like, I just, I just love this. See, I, I, he, he constantly pursued. It said, it said, and while he was still a far way off, his father saw him coming filled with love, not anger, filled with love, not frustration, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. He never gave up. He never quit. He never stopped being the vigilant, praying, in, eternal investing sort of dad. I, I, I'm so grateful that my dad, he gets on, his, on, on a Zoom call every, every week with his boys. And I don't deserve, I don't deserve the dad I got. But he gets on the phone call, he gets on a Zoom call every week with his boys. And you know what we talk about? Life. Poor choices, good choices. And, um, and can I just say for all you that think that you've lost that, that window of opportunity, start today. I don't care if you're, my, my dad's in his, in his mid-70s. I don't care where you are in your age. Never stop being a dad. Your boys need it. Your girls need it. Get on the phone with them. Make the investment start today. Be a dad today. It's not, it's not the quantity of the failures from the past. It's the quality of the faithfulness right now. Are you making the investment today? Start today. Start making those investments today. Luke 15 verse 22 says this. But his father said to the servants, quick. See, the boy was coming home. He remembered his dad, and, and he goes, oh, I know what I'm going to say to him. I'm just going to convince my dad I'm not worthy to be his son. And, and, uh, and he, he comes home, and, and all of a sudden, he goes, uh, Dad, I gotta, I, I've got a speech I just need to share with you. And so he goes into this speech, and I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant, uh, yada, yada, yada. And what? it's almost like his dad's heart allowed zero room for his son's excuses. He said, I don't, 
He didn't go into, well, you did this and you did this and you did this. His dad didn't do that. He turns to his servant and says, hey, quick. Hey, hey, you shut your mouth. You're my boy. Quick, go get a, go get a robe. Go get a ring. This is my son. I have unconditional love always waiting for you. It's always beckoning you. It's always available to you. It's never far from you. I don't care if you run a thousand miles, all you need to do is turn around. I'm there. I'm there. Is it perhaps sometimes your kids maybe aren't coming home because you're not willing to let them? Because maybe you still want to hold on to your anger or your resentment and, and, and so they don't feel like they can come home even if they're ready to come home. I'm so glad our Heavenly Father didn't do that to us. He said, come on home. Put the ring to my son. Kill the fatted calf. We need to celebrate. But then I want to end with this. I'm done. There's this moment where, where this dad picks up his robe and he goes chasing after his son. Now you're like, well, that's great. No, I want you to understand the significance of this. See, when the son left the household, he shamed his dad. He shamed his whole family. And not only did he shame them, he shamed the whole town and the shame the whole community. And tradition speaks that when a child did that during that time, then the entire town would come round about that child and they would not only publicly shame him, but ostracize him from the community for the rest of his life. Well, the boy, he packed up that one night and he got out of town so the town didn't have the opportunity to do that. Could it be that this father was looking on the horizon and as soon as he saw his boy, before anyone in the town could get to him to shame him, to reject him, he picked up his robe and he ran towards his son to protect him from all shame, all criticism. You know why? Because he belonged in his dad's house and he wanted him to come home. He said, you're always welcome. And so, so instead of the town coming around and ostracizing his dad, they already found reconciliation. They already found they already found this beautiful relationship once again and he wrapped him up and he was now a son of the father again. Romans 8.1 says, Now there, therefore there is no condemnation, there's no more shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you think of another time where the heavenly father covered your shame and my shame? Remember in Genesis, Genesis chapter, chapter three, it says this, and the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You realize the heavenly father, even in the garden, after they completely severed their relationship with their heavenly father, what did God do? He covered their shame. He said, here's a robe, here's a ring. I've got nothing but redemption, kindness, 
reconciliation all for you. This is always a place you're going to be received. This is always a place you're going to be loved. Dads, on this Father's Day, we've made some mistakes. You may have children that are wayward right now. But can I just say right now, can I encourage you dads? Start today. Start today. Have the robe waiting. Have the ring ready. Start making the investments now. Start leaving a legacy of prayer. Start, continue to bring your children to the foot of the cross. And I promise you, I promise you, God is going to bring everything to pass that he wants to bring to pass. It is gonna be a lifetime of pursuing and enduring love, and that's part of what we do, but I promise you, when we begin to do that, you're gonna to begin to see your children, whether, they, whether it's on this side of heaven or on the other side of heaven, you can play the role of a picture of what redemption can look like, and you can start today.